to treat time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right world view. And acting upon it. that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth from today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show and for all of you on YouTube. Views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! problem is having the right world view and acting upon it. The world view that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth from today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Okay, welcome to Time. This is, <laughs> this is uh, Pastor Monty, 
And uh, with me is Pastor Josh. And we are going to be continuing our discussion in Second Thessalonians uh, in the uh, Truth Factor. So um, we are in uh, Second Thessalonians chapter two, and we're starting out uh, at verse three. Now I'm trying something a little bit different this morning. I'm actually uh, reading it off of uh, my phone rather than a big Bible because the print is massive. I think, and I can see it. I can't actually hear myself in the microphone, but I am pretty sure I did suggest this at some point. You did. You suggested, uh, what was it, last week or something like that? Why don't you try it on a phone? I said, well, I just got a new phone, so I'd, I'll try it, and we'll see. All right, so chapter 3 of Second uh, Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul's winding things up now as he talks to the church at, church at uh, Thessalonica. So let me just read a little bit here, and then we'll uh, and stop and chat a little bit. So as for other matters, uh, matters uh, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you, and pray that we be delivered from uh, wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. For we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts unto God's love and Christ's perseverance. So let's break there for just a minute. What verses are those? Uh, verses of 1 through 3 of Second uh, Thessalonians. Uh, or one, one, chapter 1. 1 through 5. Cha- uh, ch- chapter 3, verses go. 1 through 5. Hey, I can't hear myself at all in the microphone, and I'm just wondering if I'm actually coming through. Are you hearing me in the headphones? No. Okay. Uh, so, Second Thessalonians chapter three, verses one through five. Right. Okay. So the the so he's commending the church at Thessalonians that the the church at Thessalonians uh, continue to do good and continue to. Uh, to function as as he has uh, commanded them in understanding God's word and in being uh, direct uh, aware of the the changes that are taking place uh, in the society that they're dealing with, and that that uh, particular um, sentiment is something which could be said of the church today that the church today needs to be commended that it follow God's word and that it stay true to God's word, understanding that the world that we operate in is evil. Do you mean admonished? Yeah, admonished. Okay. That's one way you could put it. Well, no, because commended is like when you're doing something good. Admonished is when you're directing people. Well, but, but he is commending them because they have been doing good. And he so says, commended can, for doing something good, but admonished to do something more. Okay, so here we have commended and admonished. Sure. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it's an important note because there's a lot of churches, and that's what this passage is kind of alluding to. There's a lot of churches that will go around patting themselves on the back 
for doing good, mm -hmm. but really they need to be admonished for not doing good. Well, he's not uh, so, so good clarification, Josh. They are not patting themselves on the back. Sure. They are they are are being patted on the back, as it were. They are being commended that they have been doing good, and they should. Con and so the admonishment is continue to do good. Yeah. And as I said, there are many churches today that need that same type of uh, thing happening with them. They need to recognize that they're working hard and they're doing good. They need to be commended that they're doing good, and they need to be admonished to stay true to the path that they're on. And that's such a hard thing today because it's easy to get set aside. Yeah. Because there are so many, um, there is so much evil in the world today. And clearly there are those who do not believe. And, and the other thing that makes it difficult in today's world is um, the synchronism that we see going on inside of uh, the church today bringing in all kinds of things, Eastern mysticism and variations on, on, uh, variations on what Jesus said and uh, just all kinds of things. Yeah, everything's on the table. And so you really need to be careful because many, I, my observation is that, that many people today uh, come to the table of Christ, as it were. They, they come to the church with uh, this uh, synchronistic view, this blending of all these different things. And part of the job of the church then uh, is to try to unpack that and to and to go through you know how when you when you uh i don't know what it's like in your life but now that i'm old i can easily go through things and start tossing things like i don't need that i don't need that i don't need that um and and we need to do that occasionally really <laughs> yes okay and and there's a when when people come listen if you come to christ when you're young it's it's, it's a weird example to me it's like uh your generation in particular is the generation you, you of don't hoarding. Think, you don't so, think i do that i don't hoard i'm not saying that you do i'm just saying like your generation in particular is the generation of hoarding like that's where that like idea came from you know like it it's like it grew up in your generation okay, okay. and then the generations kind of after me are, like they don't believe in worldly possessions so they're always trying to get rid of you know they don't like they don't have anything they live like pretty you austere know, yeah yeah well i i don't know if austere is the right word either because i don't know that it's that intentful it's not exactly a ascetic it's like amorphous it's like yeah. they don't, they don't want to be like locked down to anything which I think is the issue in the church that we're running into, uh, which is that the church is, rather than being, rather than following the blueprint of Christ, which is a blueprint, it's very specific. Right. They, they've taken the adage that the church is the people, which isn't, which, it, which is sloppy and has consequences. And since the people are amorphous, the church becomes amorphous. Okay. Like it's without form is what I mean by amorphous. Yes, and there's lots of things you could unpack from that, but the the I'm using it as an illustration to say that when people come to Christ when they're young, 
and they haven't accumulated a lot of junk, there's less to unpack. But when people come to Christ when they're older, uh, just beyond, you know, late teens, early 20s, 30s, uh, now you're talking about people that that have accumulated a lot of stuff, not only, I'm not talking about material stuff, I'm talking about philosophically, theologically, they've accumulated things, uh, an idea of what they think Christianity represents, and part of the task of the church is to unpack that and to help them to see that much of, of what they have may or may not be true to the Word of God. Yeah, it's a difficult um, it's a difficult task because no matter what you are, whenever somebody becomes a Christian, even if they're born into the church, they actually carry quite a bit of holdover mm-hmm. from their community. You know, especially like the biological community. Um, so whatever the biological community's connection with God and the church is, it's it's the framework. The, the soil uh, out of which that child grows those things and sometimes there's a lot there you know a child who grows up in, in a commune or a cult for instance is going to have a very very deviated world view even if they haven't had time in life to sort of find themselves so really there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage and sometimes when a person is old enough especially if you hit them right in the 18 sort of er- area, like the 16 to 18 sort of area, right. they begin this process of deconstructing their their identity, and that is actually a really good time to... Right, because they're already open to the deconstruction. Yeah. It's also a really dangerous time for Christians. Um, in Nightlight, not this week, not next week, but the week after that, so I think it's uh, in like May 20-something, um, that Thursday we're going to be talking about uh, deconstruction, like people deconstructing their their super ego. Mm-hmm. Um, so, y- yeah. Well, and, and I would just go back to something you said earlier that, you know, um, if, you gr- if you grew up in a, uh, a, a, a quote, Christian family, um, that doesn't mean you're without baggage. In fact, on the contrary, sometimes the um, the things that you learn from your parents about what they thought Christianity represented uh, can be just as destructive. It's not speaking about my parents, but it's been my experience within the church that it's a lot harder to deal with um, the traumas that people who grew up in the church with sinners, essentially, um, that sounded weird, but <laughs> every everybody's a sinner, right? Um, like by nature, everybody's a sinner. The the difference is that the people in the church recognize it and they recognize their need for Christ. Right. But a lot of times, there are people in the church, especially if they've been in the church for a long time or if their families have been in the church in a long time, they forget that truth. Yeah. And so it can be really jarring for a person to come into the church and realize that. Uh, wait, my family is not as perfect as they say they are. Right. And that they are actually sinners in need of salvation, in need of God's grace every day. And so, yeah, uh, it's been my experience in counseling that that a lot, a lot of the work that needs to be done in counseling, in youth ministry, in building resources for the church is in 
um, sort of teaching or uh, constructing um, a proper worldview that just simply isn't taught within the institution of a lot of churches. And that's the reason why, um, and 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 that's the reason why, uh, a modified uh, form of Bible study um, is appropriate to help believers begin to take the Word of God and to apply to word of the Word of God in realistic situations mm -hmm. uh, that they see uh, and handle in life. And I knew I I grew up in a situation where we did that all the time, but I have known of churches where that rarely takes place. Oh, yeah. The idea of, uh, you know, their idea of a Bible study was to have somebody basically tell you what they thought the Bible was saying, and you really didn't have any input into it to ask questions or to ask for clarification or for example or none of that. Right. Well, it's a sermon. Right. Right. Sermons are like one of the least effective forms of learning. Right. Um, but they're a great way to reach masses, you know. So that's why they've been adopted, and that's fine. Like, Jesus sermonized. It's okay. Um, but in terms of, like, discipleship, sermons aren't as effective as the day-to-day -day exampling where you go through life and you talk about how your relationship with God affects and informs your relationship with real time and real space. Right. Sermons are important. Um, they're they're a good tool for reaching the masses quickly, but they are not nearly as important as discipleship. Yeah, no, I I agree a hundred percent. In in which is why it's funny, which is why it's funny that there is this inversion in the thought process of Christians, where it's like, oh, I got my sermon, you know, like I got my Sunday, right? But I don't need to be in in any sort of like discipleship relationship or or whatever. Right, during the week. In other words, I don't need to go to church as long as I, like, watch a sermon online or something like that, you know? I don't need to be a part of the community of faith. So, yeah, it's just wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. And, and so the Apostle Paul is, is uh, admonishing the church that they continue to do what they know they have been taught and to hold fast to that. But he's also recognizing the reality of the worlds in which they live in, that there are evil and wicked people in the world and that not everybody. I like, uh, well, at least this, I'm not sure what it says exactly in the Greek because I don't have a, 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 a lexicon here, but I, but, but, uh, I like how he says um, not everybody is of the faith, as if, <laughs> as if, duh, not not everybody believes the way that you do. Not everybody thinks the way that you do. And that can be problematic. Um, because sometimes we get into, the, we, we're shocked sometimes when we see evil in the world. Or we see it, you know, it happening around us. And we're thinking like, you know, that's kind of the reasons why, um, you know, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why uh, believers oftentimes have difficulty understanding why it is that they do things a particular way because we now have a different view, right? When right. you accept Christ, when you repent, you accept Christ, you're baptized, and then you begin saturating yourself. So you, you're baptized, you die to self, now you're raised to walk a new life. Uh, you saturate yourself with the Word of God. 
uh, you know, the Apostle Paul continues that thought in Romans chapter 12, where he tells us that we're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to be conformed to the way that the world thinks, but we're to put on a new way of thinking, thus a new way of acting. And uh, sometimes when you watch people around you in the world and you just, you're like, what's up with that? You know, it's like they're, del they're, they're deluded. And in fact, um, I believe they are. Okay, so th we're admonished to, uh, to continue on that path, and so I would encourage people as well to learn the Word of God, to understand the Word of God, and continue to uh, walk in a way that He will be glorified. It, I think it can also be noted that this admonishment comes on the heels of a teaching about what's to come. Sure, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of people who really just want to talk about what's to come, but they don't want to talk about what that means for today. Yeah, yes, indeed. And, and from a historical standpoint, I mean, Josh and I have talked about this before, but if you take a look at history, for example, and you look at how some Christians have dealt with this, um, and the and Paul is going to deal with that in a moment, but you you um, you look at how some Christians have dealt with this, and they've been totally unproductive in the world they live in, right? Because they're so they're so think like the we were talking about the Millerites, for example, late eighteen hundreds, the forerunners of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. The, the Millerites, they basically sold everything, went up on top of a mountain, and waited for Christ to return. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, no. And he didn't, And he record. didn't. He didn't. Um, and so, you know, people... Dis people Whoa, are totally okay. disillusioned. <laughs> the sound is a lot more. Yeah. yeah but it uh, it's loud. Yeah. <laughs> So that's probably a good thing. I don't know if they they fixed it. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. People were totally disillusioned. Yeah, people were totally disillusioned. And, and as I said, the, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist movement came out of that whole experience. Uh, but um, that's not what we're called to. No, we're not called to. We're called to have a realistic understanding of the world in which we live in. But that requires us to be part of what we're called to. And we've talked about this otherwise that we're called to be the salt of the earth. Right. The light to the world, the salt of the earth. City on the hill. City on the hill, so that people are people are watching. They can see the glory of God through the church. They can, the, the church affects, is supposed to affect the society in which it is in, not, not the opposite. And, and oftentimes what we see in the church today is that it is the opposite. Yeah, we're talking about, in my, my family Bible study, we're talking about um, <clears throat> Romans chapter like 10, 11, 12. Oh, yeah, wonderful stuff. And it's dealing with um, the, the Hebrew people and the Gentiles and their connection to God's grace and salvation. Right. And one of the things that he's batting around, Paul, same author here, one of the things that he's batting around is just this propensity of people, once they've come into God's, um, choosing, once they've understood God's choosing, they have this tendency to sort of think that everybody else is on the other side of the wall, right? But really, and this was the case for the Jews, they were meant not to be on the other side of the wall, but to be a door. 
a door that you know swings open and lets other people in. Uh, right. Would it be a valve? Like it's a one way, yeah, like a one way valve, like a valve, yeah. Where it's like people can come in through it, but they they don't leave, and it's it creates safety, right? And so I think that there is this there is this concept that we are that we are that it's us against the world, meaning like other human beings, but really God wants that for all human beings. Right. Right. There, the, the beauty of the word of God, the beauty of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and shedding his blood for us is that that's available to everybody. And, and it's, it's, um, and, and that is a message which we can, we should not ever lose. Right. You know, we sh- it's, it- <laughs> It's part of, and he, the Apostle Paul deals with this uh, in Romans as well. But but this exclusivity, see, see, that's one of the reasons why the Jews got in trouble. Yeah, because because they had a high hat, uh, nose in the air attitude. Yeah, towards everybody else, be they're like you know we got it, you don't, type of thing, and we are not to have that as believers. Well, in my own personal journey, you know, I started off thinking that non-believers, I grew up in the church, right? So I started off thinking that non-believers are wicked. And then as and I And they are. And they are. And <laughs> then as I matured and started to understand the hypocrisy within the church, then I began to think that believers are wicked. And they are. And then <laughs> as I grew, I began to understand that people are just wicked. Yes, yes, because of the because of our our condition in an unredeemed state. Yeah. Well, even, yeah, uh, well, we may be redeemed, but we're not fully sanctified even as believers, and there's nothing special about us. The thing that makes us I'm sorry, I when I'm talking about that, what I'm saying is Yes, we're made in the image of God. Yes, we're special, blah, blah, blah. That's not what I mean. What I mean is there's nothing about us that makes us worth saving in terms of measuring up to some standard that God has. It's purely his choosing, and that's it. Um, and when he chose when he chose the, the Hebrew people, when he chose the Jews, when he chose the, the root of you know Abraham and the, uh, the proto-evangelists, Evangelion, you know, when he made this promise to to Eve, he simply chose these people because he wanted to illustrate something for all of humanity. Right. Yes. They just happened to be the thing. The illustration I was giving to my my kids. So I went on this long illustration about plants because, you know, he talks about grafting. Right. But then my kids actually were like, let's... I think it was Sophia who said we should use Legos. And so... So then we started talking about Legos. I'm like God God wanted to use Legos to build, you know, to to build something that would reflect his glory, right? So he went to the store uh, the analogy breaks down, but he right. went to the store and he bought uh, you know, a specific set of Legos, Batman Legos or whatever. Does that mean that when he comes across like at a garage sale some Star Wars Legos that he can't use Star Wars Legos with Batman Legos? Of course he can. And and he will because it will make his you know the thing that he's trying to build even better. Right. So one can't say to the other that they're better than the other. But should we appreciate that the Batman Legos came first? Sure. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. 
And this is what he deals with, for example, in Corinthians, in the first chapter of Corinthians, where um, the the uh, the elements of the church were saying, well, I'm better than you because I came from Apollos, right. and I came from this, and I came from that. And, and it is part of our... It is part of our selfish nature to want to somehow lift ourselves up above other people. And that battle still exists even though we have been redeemed. Right. So the only difference for the believer is that the believer is forgiven and is covered by the blood of Christ, but there's still process that Josh talked about. There's this process of sanctification, and we are in the process of being sanctified and if you are actively, if you know that you're actively in the process of being sanctified, and you're wor- and you're working with God, in order to in order to uh, to do that, the so how do you do that? Well, you do that by reading the Word. Right. You do that by prayer. You do that by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit to to develop and change in those areas which are inconsistent with your claim to be a disciple of Christ. So you're actively involved in that process, then you mature faster. Yeah. If you're not involved in the process or you're, <laughs> or you're reluctant to the process, then you don't mature and you remain a little baby and you act like a little baby. The fer- Yeah, the fertile soil of growth as the... as for image bearers of God is always going to be the revelation of scripture. It's always going to be the sound doctrine of the apostles. Right. And then it's going to be the safe, uh, administration within the church. Those are the three scripture doctrine, local body. If you, if you participate in those three things, then you will grow. Yeah. Yeah, and and it is a, my experience and, over and remain the years, safe. That's the other thing. Yes, and my experience is over the years, unfortunately, that not that there are there are fewer than should be that participate in that process. Well, they'll participate in one, but not the other. Right. So that it's, you know? it's not it's not uh, safe for them. Yeah. So the apostle Paul basically is is saying, "Hey, look." Um, you need to be involved in the process. You need to continue what you're doing. You need to be steadfast. All of those things are directed towards how the believer should act and how the church should have its focus, keeping in mind what Josh said, that just before this, in, in the letter, just before this, I know this is difficult to remember, but this is a letter. So it's written in letter format, and basically... It's like a single thought. Right. Ba- before, he's basically saying, you know, these are the things that are going to happen. But even though these things are going to happen, you still need to continue to be steadfast mm-hmm. and to do the things that you know you need to. If anything, because these things are going to happen, you can be steadfast because you know the timeline. Yes, exactly. Okay, so we're going to, we're going to end... The beginning of chapter three, which is the final chapter here, we're going to end chapter uh, this uh, discussion at this point because next week we're going to pick up on the same thought carried on in a different manner, which uh, lift up what Josh and I have been talking about up to this point, which he's basically talking about uh, idleness. All right.
let's uh, let's get into our discussion in regard to relationship. Wow! Wow! All right, we're having all sorts wow. of difficulties here. Hey, speaking of, it's when you say idleness, you're talking about like not following through with things, right? Or you're not you're not saying I like idolatry. No, not idolatry. We're talking about idleness. We're talking about yeah. laziness. So, yeah, I just want like, I I just want to do a shout out because uh, this week on Thursday night we're going to be dealing with a concept. It's called a volition. Okay. Which is specifically, um, well, kind of idleness. It's like a lack of motivation. Okay, yeah. So we're gonna, we're going to be talking about that on Thursday night uh, for Nightlight at nine thirty. Okay, let's talk. See, about we're we're, sink, we're <laughs> sinking up and uh, not even trying. Although the, the Holy Spirit is there. So um, we ended our discussion last week with talking about. Remember, we've been bringing together discussion about the relationship that exists between parent and child. And uh, we ended our discussion last week saying that we were going to talk a little bit about the issue of discipline mm. and, and how that works between parent and child and what is the, what is the purpose of discipline. Uh, for example, if you go to Scripture and you look at Proverbs, it says, train up the child uh, in the, in the way that, yeah. that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, the idea being that there is a, a uh, and then we've talked about, for example, in Genesis, or no, in Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy chapter 6 as well as chapter 11, the idea is, is that there's supposed to be a continual training process that is taking place between parent and child. Right. Um, but but I've, I've been thinking about this this week, and it, it's a particularly important distinction to make because there are many people in our society today who have uh, misunderstood the concept of discipline versus punishment. Yeah. And, and I can tell you from uh, practical experience that um, punishment is not beneficial to a child. Um, and, yeah. and can leave... For deep, so many reasons. And well, can leave deep scars. So... Uh, what we want to talk about is what the biblical concept of discipline is and why it's important and how it's applied. Okay. I think that that was a, I think that was a passive nod over to me. Sure. You can, was... <laughs> you, can, you, you can take off on this because you sure. have small children that you're already having to apply this to. Hey, I, 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 also I have, have fully grown children. I've already applied. Well, you do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you still have to discipline sometimes, um, but uh, but uh, my wife and I we've raised three children, mm-hmm. um, and we tried very diff- very hard, not difficultly. We tried we tried very hard to make sure that how we uh, brought about correction was in the form of discipline. Yeah, so, I mean, the long and short of it is that before you can even apply a standard of discipline, you have to have a standard. That's the first thing. Yeah, I agree. The concept of discipline has to do with the idea that there is a right way of doing things. Now, that's not to say that that right way is, um, like, an um, an exhaustive conversation on God's character and morality. And any parent who who um, sort of does that, who says, you know, I am God in this family and therefore I know 
everything that there is to know and so on and so forth is setting their child up for disappointment. Um, it may be effective in the moment, you know, to instill the quote unquote fear of God in them, but um, really it's setting them up for, uh, for failure. Well, down, down the road when you start, when the, as, as we alluded to earlier, when a child starts to deconstruct, mm-hmm. that's devastating. Right, 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 because they realize their parents aren't as big and bad as they thought they were, right. and, and if their parents were the, were the creators of everything in their world, then that can be quite depressing, honestly. So, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a standard and there doesn't need to be a standard. The type of language that we use in my family is in this family. That's that's how we, uh, we say this. Um, that There's biblical precedent for that. Joshua... Um, I think it's in the book of Judges. He says, you choose this day where you will stand, but right. as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? right? So there's this, there's this idea like, okay, like the, there are other ways of doing things, but in this family, this is what we do. Right? So there is, so you don't have to, in imposing discipline, you don't have to, you don't have to say, um, this is the absolute truth for everyone for all time, and that's why we do it. You don't right. need to say that, but you do need to be clear about what the standard is. And once you're clear about what the standard is, then you can have discipline. Now, what discipline is, is it is simply adherence to the standard. Let's, let's just deviate from a second for a second to say that that knowledge of what that standard is should be biblical. Sh- well, should be biblical and should be discussed and negotiated between the both partners. husband and yep. wife. Yeah. Well, and I, I would go even further than that and say that it should be something that is accessible by the whole crib. So. Right. 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 So you're talking about the grandparents and. Well, and, that so the grandparents are biological, right? Right. So we have. So here at Aletheia, we use this uh, like a proprietary uh, methodology for parenting. It's called um, uh, oh yeah, it's called crib parenting theory. But anyway, the uh, <laughs> but the crib refers to four four um, communities. So you have the covenantal community, which is essentially the church, people who have made a covenant. Um, before God toward you. You have the relational community, which is people that you choose. You have the biological community, which are the people that God chose for you. And then you have the infinite community, which is the uh, the relationship you have with God and God alone. Right, and so infinite th- comes before biological. That's why it's crib. Well, it just sounded better. I, I, I know. I just so <laughs> <laughs> it just made more sense. Okay. I mean, what what it could be a uh, curb yeah, or okay. brick or <laughs> anyway. Um, so you have the so you have the crib and there needs there the most success you're going to have for a child is when the whole of the crib works together. Right. So when they all come together and they serve as parenting partners, the community, the 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 friendships or sorry, the the covenant community, so that means your church, they adhere to they adhere to the same sort of structure as the the parents do. They uphold the parent structure. A child can't run to church and then have, you know, basically a different set of rules. Um, and then the relational community, like your friends, they should also uphold the, par- the, the structure of the biological community, and all of those should be based around the, um, around the infinite community and the relationship between the father and son in, in that. 
So there's, it's a whole way of doing things. But basically, yeah, co-parenting is really important. Yeah. So ultimately, what's being said, you may you may not have or may not have developed uh, the uh, the concept that, that Josh is discussing outward within your own community at this point, but. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't already exist. It means that you don't recognize that they're That's there. That's just a description. Sure. So Isaac Newton didn't, quote-unquote, discover gravity. Like It's not like people didn't realize before that what came sure up knew. didn't come Is down. Right? Or it did come down. Yeah. So, so but, but most importantly, where it begins, it begins with mom and dad, right? So oftentimes what we see, and we'll, I mean, we could digress terribly and we won't but oftentimes what we see with uh, parents is that they're uh they're contradicting each other all the time yeah because they really haven't discussed and agreed upon uh, the methodology and what their understanding of discipline is and how it's going to be uh, carried out well and that is generally that is generally a and we get into relationship counseling that right. is generally a holdover from building a foundation for a relationship that isn't inspired. Right. You know, it's like right. these people got into a relationship. Um, and I'm not saying that it was with a lack of sincerity. I'm sure it had a lot of sincerity to it. It just wasn't built upon the revelation from the infinite community. Yes, from God's word. So, so oh, okay, so not to, not to have digressed too much, Josh, but just wanted to importantly for people to understand that this concept of uh, discipline in your child uh, has to be something that is that uh, that you agree upon mother and father agree upon yep. and it's applied the same way mm-hmm. and that it's uh, and that it's directional in its understanding of how it is of what you're trying to accomplish yeah well and so when we say that it's applied the same way that doesn't necessarily mean that it's applied the same way so much as that there is um that all parties involved are aware and accepting of the way in which it's applied. Right. Because so well, mom and dad can be different in how they like one can be. And they certainly will. Yeah. <laughs> and they certainly will. Yeah. But, but, um, but even within that, the, the examples of, of depending upon the age of the child of how it is actually applied, um, you know, there has to be agreement to, yeah. So, absolutely. for example, you know, there's 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 a there's a time. I know I'm going to get cards and letters and all. There's a time when corporal punishment is uh, is effective and has a purpose. We're not talking about harsh, mean. We're talking about effective and has a purpose. Well, corporal discipline. Yeah. Di- okay. Corporal discipline. Yeah. I know you. Th- I threw in the word punishment. Um, so there's a time when 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 that is appropriate. There's a time when it's it's totally ineffective. Yeah, I would go so far as to even alter that to say um, restrictive discipline. Sure. There's a time when restrictive discipline is effective, and there's a time when it's not. Uh, and you'll hear Pastor Monty say it a lot that there is there's a responsibility of the parent to transition into being more of a counselor. Yeah. So there's a time when it, where you should be more directive than restrictive um, in how you discipline, but, but sort of getting back to the initial point, um, there has to be a path 
that is understood to be the best path for this family. Right. That's that's the first thing, right? So discipline is all about adhering to that path and prepping somebody to be on that path, like equipping them to be on that path. And that's where you get a disciple, right? Or when somebody follows a discipline, like a martial art or whatever, they're equipping themselves to be on that path. And it also includes when somebody deviates from that path, pulling them back onto that path. So the distinction between discipline and punishment is that punishment isn't about getting somebody back onto the path. Punishment is retribution for straying from the path. Yeah. So in other words, it doesn't matter if that person gets back on the path or not. They're going to be punished for straying from the path. Um, that's the difference between two. Between the two is that one, and there's actually several differences, but that's the main difference is that a person, a parent who's disciplining their child really only cares that their child returns to the path that is safest for them. But a parent who is punishing their child doesn't really care about that. They just want their child to be punished. Um, Maybe it's because their child took time away from them. Uh, It's oftentimes wrathful. So it's like revengeful. Maybe they took time away from them. Maybe it was because they themselves um, were uh, mistreated. Um, you know, there's lots of reasons why people do it. And it's, uh, it is the, like in most cases in parenting and counseling, when I'm dealing with this sort of thing, it's because parents don't really know the distinction. So they'll correct their child only when their child, um, they, they haven't set up a relationship of discipline with their child. They've set up a relationship of punishment. So basically when their child makes it difficult for them, then they'll lash out at their child. Smells like something's burning. Um, You're hot. <laughs> it does. It smells like something's burning in here. Um, I don't, I don't see. Yeah. So anyway, they'll lash out at their child um, in in situations where they become where their child becomes inconvenient, and so that's that's the difference between the two. The effect of that. So so a child needs to understand cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Do you smell it now? No. Okay. A, a child needs to understand cause and effect. Um, they need to understand the consequences of straying from the path. And that's what God wants. God wants us to understand the consequences of straying from the path. So a parent's job is to, sorry, I'm just like bombarding information here, but a parent's job is to allow consequences to come to bear in a safe manner so that their child can understand the consequences. So a because what you're going to eventually move towards, and we've talked about this, but what you're going to eventually move towards is is uh, emphasizing uh, the understanding of choice and being able to differentiate between consequences which are positive and right. consequences which are counterproductive. Because that parent understands that they are not always going to be able to look out for their child. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The child needs to be free as being made in the image of God. See that the parent respects the fact that what they're dealing with is an image bearer of God. Mm -hmm. And that image bearer of God bears upon them the ability for freedom of choice within the confines of real time and real space. 
they can affect real time and real space. And so because they respect the image of God within the child, in other words, they see God better by seeing this child, right. they're going to do what's necessary to be respectful to God. And that means engaging and enabling this child to be disciplined toward God. Ultimately, with the hope that that child has what we call trust of self in attachment theory, so that that child can move freely within the boundaries of their life, within the boundaries that you know they've been taught by their parents, and thus have initiative and motivation and all of these you know agency and all of these things that are going to set the child up for success um, to better and best reflect who God is. Discipline is what enables that practice. A person who is disciplined. Uh, again, like I'm thinking about martial arts, you know, like a person who's disciplined in martial arts or like a soldier, for instance, who live a life of discipline. Those people are able to move freely in combat because they have spent their life disciplining mm -hmm. themselves. Right now they have right. trust of self because they have a proper attachment. When you well, have punishment in, in, in martial arts, then that discipline uh, becomes second nature. Yeah. It and becomes an aspect of it, yeah. yeah. And so they, they do what they do, not because they're thinking about it, but because they've, the repetition and the discipline has been there so long that it becomes second nature in their response. Yeah. I mean, I don't... This is where that example breaks down for me because... So martial arts is mostly... Not all martial arts, but martial arts is mostly based on Eastern philosophy and it has to do with emptying the self. And so you have this second nature where a person is no longer thinking Christianity wants us to, to reflect the difference is it's a little bit more like uh, flash and the speed force. I don't know. That's probably a bad example for the audience, but like a person becomes so in tune with the mind of God that their thoughts now are automatically reflecting God's thoughts and so, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. In, in other words, they are informed at all times because there's such a cohesion between the 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 work of the Holy Spirit and, sure. and themselves. Yeah. So they're not they're not um, not thinking, but in fact they're hyper thinking. Right. And so when it comes to when it comes to discipline, then the the you may be saying to yourself, having listened to Josh go off in the weeds and. And uh, and looking at this whole thing, wow, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot. Um, what, what what do I do? Uh, well, here's what you do. First of all, you need to uh, work on your own relationship and study the Word of God to understand where you're supposed to be at. And then when it comes to your children, now your procreation, uh, you need to um, sit down with your spouse and you need to start uh, planning out, um, specifically planning out a, uh, a plan of action as to how you're going to look at this aspect of your parenting. Yeah, and likely that's going to mean that, that um, you're going to have to start doing some study. Not just study, but deconstruction of your own methodology. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, humble, for, humbling yourself. Right. Like, for example, you know, for example, uh, um, my <laughs> my father's 
method of dealing with things uh, is that uh, he would uh, slap me and uh, throw me up against the wall. Sure. When he was drinking. Yeah. So we we we, we decided that we weren't going to do that. Sure. So that's 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 what Josh means by deconstruction. You have to look at your own experience and go, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Well, there's a lot of people. It's really telling. A lot of people have difficult um, childhoods, but they have this idea that admitting that the difficult childhood was not okay means that they're admitting that they're weak. It's a it's a real interesting phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and, I agree. And it's a true it's a true phenomenon. People like actually feel this way, and they're they're like you know like like in the extreme examples. Although if you go back and if you if you've ever dealt with abuse survivors, um, there is this sense of like guilt that is involved in it. But that being said, there's a lot of abandonment, for instance, where like parents just won't pay attention to the to their kids, and a child will um, make excuses for their parent, and they'll say, you know, uh, you know, it's okay. Like I don't have a great relationship with my father. You know, that's okay. You know, yeah. but th- the thing that's really telling the the metric by which you can judge whether somebody is being honest with like being intellectually honest is when you ask them what they want for their children. Because mm-hmm. a person may say it's okay, like I'm I'm not gonna like judge my father, blah blah blah, right? And you say okay, but what would you want for your children? Um, I mean, I I want my children to have a better relationship than what I had with my father. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is that's when you that's the moment where you can tell that something's off in the way that it is. And so, like as a counselor, we use that tool a lot to help people judge. Where they're, where they're actually coming from. So from, from a pastoral perspective, what I want to say about discipline and punishment, because we really haven't talked about punishment that much, um, is the effect of punishment, the effect of punishment is essentially torture. Um, so what I mean by that is that discipline is based on a standard that everybody can get behind. A child understands that if they deviate from the standard, then they get a consequence, right? Right. But if there's no standard by which to deviate from, and there's no standard that they're supposed to have, then when they, when wrath comes upon them, it's only based on arbitrary feeling. Right, right. So in other words, if my mom is having a bad day, then then I know to behave this way. But if she's having a good day, I'm going to behave under completely different circumstances. And that teaches the child that the world is random and it's chaotic. And when you add negative stimulus to this, like the child gets yelled at or slapped upside the head or whatever, the way that you need to picture it is, is torture, where a person is put into a room, they're locked into an environment that they can't escape, and then their captor comes in and, you know, gives them water, feeds them, then the next minute yells at them. Then the next minute is nice to them. Then the next minute is their worst enemy. Sure, and it all, that's that's how you brainwash somebody is by yes. going through that process. So that is, and, and it's all random and arbitrary to the person, and it creates the person has to go deep within and create mechanisms by which to survive. If they're 
if they live in that environment. And unfortunately, a lot of people are raised that way. Yeah. And then, and it's, and it's, it's because they themselves were raised that way. And then they turn around and raise their children that way. That's why there's a huge, um, like recidivism rate to, uh, like it's a statistic is like a statistical truth. Like you're w- much more likely if you grew up in a system of uh, like foster care, for instance, sure. to, to, to put your children into foster care because you know, you were raised this way and maybe, maybe foster parents um, did right by you, but a couple months or even a couple years of doing right by you, of providing you actual discipline versus punishment will not undo the X amount of years that you have spent feeling that the world was unsafe. Right. So let me interject at this point. That Sorry, again, there's like, a lot there. Well, again, you might be, you might be saying, wow, <laughs> that's, that's a lot there. And it is a lot. Um, but as believers, here's the deal. Which is just one, which is just wonderful, because everything that that uh, Josh is describing, uh, that uh, people grow up in, I grew up in that. Um, but I came to Christ when I was twelve. Yep. See, the thing is, is, Scripture says you are a new creation in Christ. Yep. So all those things that you went through when you were a child, which were not productive, which could be detrimental to you and destructive, God can take all those and remove them. So they're not an issue. So what we did, my wife and I, we sat down and we said, we're not going to do this to our children. Now, we still had corporal discipline. Sure. Uh, but we, you might remember the uh, the spoon. The hot spot? The hot spot. Oh, I remember the hot spot. <laughs> and I well, also remember after the hot spot conveniently disappeared, that son of hot spot emerged. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what we did, is, and this is the other thing from our And no, I don't consider that abusive, so don't uh, even go there. Yeah, so what, what we did, which is this is a, the practical aspect of it, is... As our children were growing, rather than there being an arbitrary understanding of what was acceptable and what was not, we wrote down, even a short list, Mm -hmm. we wrote down a couple of things which were paramount in our thinking to how it is we were going to deal with it. And then we we put uh, uh, a consequence. And the consequence for a couple of years was uh, the hot spot. I think it was up until I was nine. Uh, yeah, and and yeah. At, at at a point, we then uh, removed the hot spot and and took it away because it was not effective anymore. Well, it was at the yeah, it was at the point where I got particularly where the children started to try to hide the. Hot spot. I got many consequences over the course of the day, and by the end of the day, I was laughing so hard because I just get <laughs> kept getting these consequences. And I think my parents decided, okay, then that that is no longer effective. That's not effective. Um, (laughs) But I do the same thing with my children. I don't use the hotspot. We don't really we don't really employ uh, discipline that way. But what we do, we have a a behavioral arrangement with them where we sit down and we say, what are the what are the things that you need to work on that you need help working on in making yourself you know, more mm-hmm. in line with yeah. how this family behaves? Good. And so they sit down and we only do like three or four things, the major things that they need to work on. And then 
these things, then we ask them, what do you think would be the appropriate um, thing that would help you to get back on path when you do the things you're not supposed to do? So they come up with their own consequences. Mm -hmm. Good. And then we hold them accountable to those consequences. So we, when they do something that they're not supposed to do, they deviate from that. Then we give them basically a ticket and the ticket is for that consequence. And then at the end of the week, then they have to, when we do our family time, then they give the ticket back to us and say, here's, here is my consequence. Uh, or uh, I'm going to redeem these for my consequence. It's the reason why is we're working out this concept that the wages of our sin has consequences. Right. Like I made this happen. I paid for it. Right. That's good. And so then we have to, so we can either give them grace um, or they can get their consequences, the consequences which they chose ahead of time. And so we go through periods where they don't need this. And then, so they, they basically use this once they overcome those, then we go through periods where they don't need it. And then when things are starting to get out of control again, then we say, okay, is it time to make a new consequence chart? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how we do it. And, you know, we don't really need to, uh, we haven't really needed to use corporal discipline. Right. Well, of course, in your, you know, how you and Michelle work it out between you will evolve based yep. upon, you know, things that you experienced. And well, and, and, and oftentimes, oftentimes my children will come to me and they say, I need a consequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They recognize. <laughs> and I will say, to, I did this. I need a consequence. And I will say to them, do you? Do you? Are you back on the path that you're supposed to be? And they'll say, well, I'm, yeah, I think so. Like, I'm not going to do it again. There you go. And I'll be like, then you don't need that consequence. Yeah, good, good. I, I like forgive you. I'll give you grace. So, so, so what you might be hearing, and we'll, I'll close it with this thought, uh, and we'll finish up this aspect next week um, and begin to bring to a close the issue of relationship between parent and child. But, but um, what you might be hearing is that, and I hope you're hearing, that the, the idea of putting together a structure that is not chaotic, uh, that is not difficult to follow, uh, but is, is a participant, you, there's how you, uh, participatory, 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 yeah. participatory is, uh, can be fun. It can be... Oh, yeah, we use colors. Yeah, it can be it, it can be it can be a fun thing, and it it can be good. Well, it, let me let me throw out there. I only talked about the negative, but they also have the opportunity to uh, gather um, extra positive consequences too. Well, I was gonna uh, I was gonna just tell the story briefly about you guys uh, uh, getting your bicycles. I don't know this story, so well, I, sure you I do. must have forgotten about it. Well, you must have forgotten about it. Well, see, so these the the red BMXs. Yeah. Okay. Tell, see, tell us. See the way that the way that our the way that uh, our children got their bicycles is that they earned it. We didn't buy it for them. They earned it. And how they earned it is we set up in agreement a point structure uh, with positive and negative. And so they had to reach uh, a thousand points in order to um, get their bicycle. And at the end of the day, uh, there would be negatives and positives. Mm. 
and they, and they if they did what they were supposed to, they did their chores. They 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 didn't have any uh, behavior issues, yeah. attitudes. Yeah, they didn't have those things. Then they got X number of points. And if the if they did have those things, then they were detracted. So every night we would take out the pen and paper yeah. and do the math and you know and each child would be scored according to you know did uh, working towards that 1000 points i would say it took about 6 to 9 months to <laughs> to to get there but when they hit that 1000 points they were then rewarded with a bicycle that was not given to them but they had earned i love that bicycle yeah it was fun the, yeah. But that that's the type of process that you can become involved in in this issue of discipline. And I, clearly there was discipline involved in yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So we're going to finish this aspect of this, and I just have a one or two very quick uh, what's up with that. So, um, you know, the... Uh, it flo- <laughs> you know, it's mating season right now for alligators. Here it comes. Well, I just had to throw one in. Okay. It's, it's mating season for alligators. So alligators are a little more aggressive in Florida these days. You don't say. So there was an alligator that was underneath somebody's car in the parking lot, not far from a pond, you know, because they're, they're close to ponds. And do they have signs outside Disney World so that warn it, you about they alligators? They do. They do now, yes, because of that, <laughs> what that. I mean, yes, because of what happened. Yeah. Uh, alligators and snakes. But um, but this, this so if you're a police officer in in uh, Florida, you can expect to do some animal control type things. Sure. And so this police officer was called out to deal with this alligator that was under this person's car. So she decided the best way to deal with it was to use a broom to kind of push the the alligator because he was annoyed to get off from under the car and yeah yeah and the alligator got uh, upset with her mm-hmm. and grabbed onto the broom and so the police officer just said well okay i'll just take you where i need to go yeah and so she <laughs> she pulled it out so she pulled it all the way down to the pond uh because you know when an alligator locks on yeah they're not letting go yeah yeah yeah, so she just so there's this picture on the internet of this cop pulling this this alligator across the lawn. That's fun. Attached to this broom, so that's so that's cool. Once it got in the water, did it let go? It was okay. Yeah, yeah. That's it, funny. She just let her go. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's lots of if you look on the internet, there's lots of alligator stories right now, uh, as I said, because it's mating season. Um, in Nova Scotia, the cops were called. Uh, because it's their job to police people that aren't uh, that aren't uh, that are adhering to sure. the uh, masking and distancing rules that are undisciplined. Yes, that are undisciplined. Yeah, and so uh, somebody called the cops to have them enforce this uh, unruly person who was sitting in a coffee shop when they shouldn't. Mm. And when the police got there, they rolled up there, they checked everything out. Come to find out, the owner of the shop had put a mannequin in a booth. And it was, it was, so who, it was a mannequin. So, what? So, like, customers called on this mannequin yes. or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, customers they called. They didn't even on... talk to the manager first? No. no, no okay, no, that just, is definitely just, a what's and, up with and that. And they just called the police because, you know, they're being woke. And, was know, it, was just... the town's name Karen? 
<laughs> no, it wasn't. Like what? No, it wasn't. Okay. All right, I'm going to keep that short because we're over our time, but uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this last hour, and uh, that's all I got for today. All right, well, if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we want to help you, so check out the uh, check out our, our website, abfpdx.org, and remember that we're always open to questions, so don't be shy about that. Uh, closing out the show... The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a webcast on our Vigilance Radio Network, which is a resource that we develop here that has um, helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. If you want to be a part of that and what we're doing here, you can always join us on Facebook and our Vigilance Radio Network's page where you can get access to all of our shows, uh, just not just this one. We've got all sorts of shows. We have shows like um, The Bible with Pastor Adam for for uh, parenting and for parents with their kids. We've got our weekly sermons. Uh, we have Nightlight Radio, which will again be this Thursday talking about evolution. And I think we also have Culture Insanity coming up. Yes. Uh, on Saturday, we have a, a, a guest coming in, Pastor David. Um, he's going to come in uh, to our Culture Insanity show this week. Um, we also have Heart Scribe, where I am going through the book of James uh, verse by verse. So, yeah, there's a lot going on right now. If you've enjoyed Truth Time um, and you like are liking what we're putting out there, please consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So if you want to help us out, even a dollar would be cool. You can donate that at abfpdx.org and if you're poor like us that's okay too like and subscribe that's all we really need if you're on youtube hit that notification bell smash that notification bell um so that we uh so that you can easily know when the next show is going to be and if you don't want to do that which i don't know why you wouldn't um i'll inform you right now that the next show for truth time with pastor monty is going to be on Tuesday, because we always have our shows on Tuesday at 11 a.m., where we will see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your senior pastor here at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship.